Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we inspire you to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, life coach and certified grief recovery specialist. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 64, The Power of Choice, and welcome to 2020. It's the very first episode of 2020. Crazy and exciting. It's a new year. It's a new decade. There's a lot of energy around the new year. We have this big celebration. Everyone's talking about resolutions and so forth. And to be the new decade, there's even more energy around that. And you may be having thoughts and feelings about starting a new year and a new decade. You may be looking at this thinking, okay, what is this going to look like? Especially if your circumstances right now are not what you wish they were. You may be looking at things and and you may be discouraged even. You may be really discouraged. If you are in deep grief and this, all this energy around the new year is happening. And when you're in deep grief, it's kind of like being in that pit. It's really hard to see around the walls of the pit. So you may be looking back over the last decade and you may even have thoughts of, I wish I was back where I was 10 years ago. Or you may look back and you you may be, I'm so glad I'm not where I was 10 years ago. You may be looking forward with expectations. And so, <laughs> interestingly, we're not going to be talking about goals and resolutions and words of the year or any of the popular topics surrounding the new year that you may be seeing everywhere on social media, especially, and even on talk shows and anything that you podcasts, anything that you're listening to, there's a lot of buzzwords, goals, resolutions. You know, what are you going to do in the new year? What's your word for the year? And all these types of things. But I learned recently, in fact, I learned from my coach that he doesn't even set resolutions for the new year. In fact, he doesn't even look at the new year as anything different than every other week of the month. He treats this week like any other. So he's constantly setting intentions and reevaluating. And I think that is a great model for all of us. I think it's a great model for us to think about when the calendar changes, there's something that like switches for our brain. You know, people start to do diet on Monday, right? Because that's, it's the new week or they start a new routine on January 1st. That's why the The gyms are crowded on January 1st when I, I don't use gyms as much as I used to in the past, but when I would use a gym, I always disliked January because I'd have the gym to myself in October, November, December, and then all of a sudden everybody shows up again in January. So we're going to kind of, we're going to talk about this idea of the power of choices One of the things that if you've been here any time at all, if you've listened to even one episode or a few more than that, you know that I coach people in their grief and coach them to rebuild. And sometimes people come to me who have been preoccupied with a particular loss, preoccupied with their grief for 20 years, 10 years, or whatever amount of time. 
and they're looking for tools and understanding and relief, which is awesome. I love it. But recently I had a couple of new people that joined my program that came to me that are less than six months. It's been less than six months since their loss. Completely different circumstances, completely different types of loss, but brand new to their grief. And to me, that's exciting. It's exciting to see people who are taking ownership for their grief experience from the very beginning. It's exciting to think that they are learning tools, strategies, and getting good information for heaven's sakes. The information that's out there is is not helpful. It's not hopeful. And so I'm so excited when I get to work with anybody, when I get to work. I love you guys. I just love you. I have the best clients in the world. I literally do. It is wonderful. I I just love working with you. And to think that when people reach out that are just brand new in their grief, they are reducing the amount of suffering in their future by getting good information, by getting the tools early, they are starting to heal and rebuild right away, which is just super exciting to me. I have found that when people sign on to my program, that they get relief almost immediately. It's really an interesting idea, but your brain, so your primitive brain is looking for ways to protect you. And when you're in a lot of pain or when there's something going on, your, your mind is going to start bugging you. That's why we become so preoccupied with our loss and our grief is because our mind is bugging us. It's wanting us to do something. It's wanting to, the grief is a process of healing. And like a two-year-old child, if you've been ever been around a two-year-old child, that's trying to get your attention or a three-year-old or a four-year-old, whatever the age is. And they're just like, hey, 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 hey. And they just bug you to death until they get your attention. The mind now knows you're paying attention if you do something. So that's why when people, when they sign up for the program, they immediately start to get relief because their brain is going, I'm doing something about this. She's taking action. He's taking action. He's doing something about it. I don't have to keep bugging him because he's doing something about it. It's an important concept. It's an important concept that I've learned over the last few months. It's like your mind is bugging you about something. And when you handle it, let me, let me give you another unrelated example. I have a friend in a mastermind group that I'm in and she, is working a full-time job and building a business on the site. And she's working long hours and she's never taking a break. She's working all day long. And then she comes home at night and she does a podcast and does other things. And she just is like working all night long and then all weekend long and she's not getting a break. And then when she does schedule a time to relax, she doesn't take the time. So her brain starts to recognize that if she schedules the time, she's actually not going to take it. So the brain can't relax. Does that make sense? 
But if she honored that time, if she scheduled a time, even if it was an hour on Sunday or two hours on Sunday where she was going to take a break, put her feet up, read a book that she loves, whatever it is, and she started to honor that time, her brain would stop bugging her about it because her brain would realize she is going to get the rest that she needs. Or if she determines that she's going to be in bed no matter what at 10 o'clock every night, then her brain will start stop bugging her if she actually keeps that appointment. Anyway, I'm a little off topic, but I was, I was talking to a friend yesterday who divorced a couple of years ago after many years of marriage. And I know it has been a painful experience for her and she still has some healing to do, but she was telling me about someone she met that she was helping who had gone through a divorce. And she thought the divorce had been recent. She thought it had been within the last year. And she finally asked this woman, like, how long ago was your divorce? Like, when did this happen? And she found out it was over 20 years ago. Over 20 years ago. Guys, it's not necessary to suffer the rest of your life. It really is not. And I know if you're in a lot of pain right now, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine that that pain will ever get any better. But I'm telling you that the way you feel now is not necessarily the way you're going to feel a month from now, a year from now, five years from now. But if nothing changes, it might be the way you feel. And that's, oh, if there's anything I could do, I would lift that burden of suffering from you because grief is necessary. Grief is part of the healing process. But the added suffering that we create for ourselves because we have bad information or we just don't know what to do, uh, it just, it, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. It really does. Your life will never be the same as it was before. It won't, but it doesn't mean that it has to be horrible. In fact, your life can look beautiful again. And I can tell you that from personal experience. So let's talk about the power of choice because really that's kind of where it all starts. The first thing is it's realizing that everything we do is a choice, literally everything. You're choosing to work where you work. I I, I touched on this a little bit in, what was it, episode 62? Yeah, it was episode 62, Perception is Reality. I touched on this a little bit during that episode, but I wanted to spend a little more time talking about it. So Realizing that everything we do is a choice. So you're choosing to, to work where you work. You're choosing to live where you live. You're choosing to wake up at 5 a.m., 8 a.m., 10 a.m., noon, whatever time it is. You're choosing to go to bed at 7 a.m. or 10 a.m. or, or sorry, go to bed at 7 p.m., 10 p.m. or 2 a.m. Like, and whatever time you're choosing that. And sometimes our choices don't feel like choices because we say, I have to go to work. I have to take my daughter to school. I have to get up to at seven to fix breakfast. I have to fix dinner for my family. I have to do the laundry. I have to finish this report for my boss. And it goes on and on. The have tos just go on and on and on. But take a closer look. Take a close, closer look. If you say, I have to go to work. If I asked you if you have to, you would say, yes, I have to. And you would believe that. And, and rightfully so. I mean, I get the, the the mindset around that. And I would ask why you have to. 
And my guess is you would respond, I have to because if I didn't, I would lose my job and I wouldn't be able to pay my mortgage and I wouldn't have food to eat. I wouldn't have clothes to wear. I need the money from my job. And those are all valid points. You might lose your job if you don't show up. You might not be able to pay the mortgage or buy food or any of the other things. Those are the reasons that you choose to go to work. Those are the reasons you choose to go to work, not the reasons that you have to. You choose to go to work because you want to get paid for a job well done. You want to be able to live in your home. You want to be able to eat. You want to be able to clothe your family. So I'm just inviting you to look at it differently and recognize that you are making a choice and to change your language. So I choose to go to work because it allows me to have the things I enjoy instead of I have to go to work. Your list of why you choose to go to work, why you work there may be different, but this illustrates the point. So let's look at another one. I have to do the laundry. Again, I would ask you, why do you have to? And your answer might be, I have to because I wouldn't have any clean clothes to wear and I'd have a stack of stinky laundry that would be piled all over my room or in my closet. So then again, I would invite you to consider you don't have to, but you don't get to choose the consequences of not doing it. And because you want, because you want to have the stinky laundry out of your room, because you want to have clean clothes to wear, because you want the things that that activity provides, you want the things that doing the laundry provides, you're choosing to do it. Can you see that the reason that you have to is exactly why you're choosing to? So this is a, would be a great activity to write down all the have tos. Write down all your have tos. And then in the next column over, write why you have to. And then consider that that's why you want to. That's why you're choosing to. It's all a choice. So again, the first thing is just realizing that everything that you're doing is a choice. You're choosing it. Even the things that you think aren't a choice, they are. So I would, even those really sticky points, you know, like going to work kind of, I think is a really big one. People think, I don't want to go to work. But really you do because you want the, you want the, what comes from doing that. There, there may be a lot of other sticky points in your life where you feel like you have to do certain things. I really would invite you to write out what it is you feel like you have to do and why you have to do it. And then look at the list of why you have to and recognize that that's why you want to and why you're choosing it. So first is just recognizing that. Second is changing your language. Catch yourself saying, I have to. I still catch myself saying this. And I'm working hard to eliminate that language from my vocabulary. Because language matters. Language like have to gets in the way of owning your choices. So when I catch myself saying even the simplest thing, I have to go to my hair appointment. I just drop the have to and say, I'm going, I'm going to my hair appointment or I have to pay my taxes. We say we don't like paying our taxes, but we do it because we're choosing to do it because we don't want the consequences of not doing it. So instead of saying, I have to pay my taxes, I'm saying I'm paying my taxes. 
I have to get my tires replaced could be I'm getting my tires replaced, just dropping the have to. I have to go visit my family. I definitely would change that to I get to go visit my family. I have to go to work could be switched to I choose to go to work. I choose to go to work. I want to be able to pay my mortgage. I want food on the table. I want clothes to wear. I have to can be replaced with simply I am. So like I have to pay my taxes. I am paying my taxes. So I have to can be replaced with I am or I get to or I choose to. Those are language swaps. So at first, you're just going to start recognizing that you're saying I have to a lot. And then it's rooting it out. You'll be able to catch it before it comes out of your mouth. And then you'll, over time, you'll start to say the new phrasing. And then over time, you may not even have the have to come up in your mind. But this is a process. This isn't something that happens overnight. Like anything that we're changing, it takes time. Jim Rohn said, you must take personal responsibility. You cannot change the circumstances, the seasons, or the wind, but you can change yourself. And that's what this is all about, is changing ourselves and looking at our circumstances and recognizing the choices that we're making. Let's talk about grief and how that plays into choice. So just like the quote, you cannot change the circumstances, but you can change yourself. That is very, very important to recognize when you're in grief. Early grief is very reactionary. I know you've experienced this. You don't feel like you have much choice in how you're responding or reacting, how you're feeling, how you're behaving. All those things just feel like it's just automatic. It's very reactionary. But you remember the quote from Viktor Frankl. He says, between stimulus and a response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And after a tragic circumstance, the space between stimulus and response is minuscule. It's almost imperceptible. It's over time that space gets larger. And with awareness, that space is much more noticeable. So for example, early in grief, you may go to something and you may find yourself triggered and crying and not feeling like you really have any choice. But then, but then a few months down the road, even a month later or whatever the timing is for you, you may be triggered by something when you're out in public and then you may choose to not cry publicly, but to wait until you get home. So that space has gotten larger between the stimulus and the response. But here's the mistake. Here's the mistake you may be making in thinking about this space between stimulus and response and our power to choose our response. Because if you go back to that quote from Viktor Frankl, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. But here's the mistake we may make when we think about that. You may be in grief thinking that your response should look a certain way. In other words, that you should act like you're healed and all better and that it doesn't still hurt. And that's the danger of this quote without context. 
If you read Viktor Frankl's book, if you're not familiar with, uh, what's it called? Man's Search for Meaning, I think is the name of the book. Yeah, Man's Search for Meaning is the name of the book. If you're not familiar with his book, he talks about his experience of being a concentration camp prisoner. And in the book, you can see how he was hurt. He was still hurt. He still had to grieve what he lost. His pain, his experience was super painful and he experienced the pain, but he didn't allow it to make him bitter. He didn't allow his captures cruelty to make him cruel. Even though he was experiencing cruelty and it was all around him, he chose not to become cruel himself. He chose to be hurt. He chose to grieve. He chose to recognize the pain and the cruelty and still be humane and still exhibit love and compassion and still be a good person and to to work toward healing. So this is the mistake you may be making is thinking that you need to dismiss your pain. You need to dismiss your grief in order for your response to be right. And I am doing right in air quotes here. You can't see me, but I am. You can think that your response needs to be, I'm a hundred percent great and good. Everything is wonderful in my world, but that's not healing. That's not helpful. That's not honoring you or your grief. Don't discount your pain. Don't discount your pain. Recognize that grief is part of healing. What it could look like, what your response could look like, is that it could be deciding to grieve, deciding to learn about grief. You're here listening to the podcast. I'm grateful you're here. I think this is a great choice. Deciding deciding to create time and space in your life for grief and healing, for reviewing and adapting and growing. That's the response. It's not dismissing that we're grieving or that we're in pain or that it's been hard. It's honoring it and allowing the grief to help us heal, not adding additional suffering to ourselves. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who I quote fairly frequently, who is the author of On Death and Dying, she said, learn to get in touch with the silence within yourself and know that everything in life has a purpose. I love the beginning of this. Learn to get in touch with the silence within yourself, allowing yourself the time and space, the silence, the white space to grieve is important. And to quit and to quote Victor Frankl again, he says, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. So there's that thought, that idea again, that we get to learn and grow through our experience. Okay, so the third thing is, the third thing is be more intentional about our choices. So once we recognize that everything that we're doing is a choice, it's the thinking about how we are using our power of choice. So let's go back to the work example. 
I have to go to work. And you're dreading going to work. You say to yourself, I have to go to work. You can change your language to I get to go to work or choose to go to work. But then the next step is asking yourself, if I'm choosing this, is there something I would rather choose? Is there a different choice that I would rather make? Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's new training. Maybe it's a new career path. In the meantime, you are choosing to go to work, but then you're also choosing to make a change. If you start to realize that everything you are doing is a choice, then you can start to be more intentional, more clear about the choices you are making. This is a quote from Roy T. Bennett. He says, you are not the victim of the world, but rather the master of your own destiny. It is your choices and decisions that determine your destiny. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about where you are right now, where you are right now. It's like a GPS system. We cannot, I shared this idea with somebody the other day and they're like, oh my gosh, that's the best thing I've heard all day. But we can't, we can't know a GPS system first has to know where you're at. It can't calculate how to get where you're going unless you know where you're at. So you start with where you're at and then you look at where you want to go. And that's how you plan your path. And that's part of what I do in the discovery call is that's what we do is we get really clear about where we're at. What do things look like now? And what do we want in the future? And that's what we look at. Jack Canfield said, there's only one person responsible for the quality of your life. That person is you. When we talk about responsibility, when we talk about choices, this can be kind of a painful topic if you're experiencing grief. And that's why I wanted to make it really clear that choosing, choosing your grief, choosing to honor your pain, right now may be the very best choice you can make. It's not about acting like it doesn't exist. That's not the point. It's like choosing into it. Jack Canfield shared this formula. He shared the formula is E plus R equals O, which stands for event plus response equals outcome. So for example, if you are dealing with a grief event, then your response, it's, it's how, how you choose to respond to that. And again, no one's going to grieve a hundred percent correctly. Like, I don't even know what that means correctly, but getting good information, getting the support you need, making the space and the time and the white, you know, creating the white space to honor your grief to allow yourself to feel the pain so that you can work through the pain, that is going to give you the best outcome. He went on to say, the day you change your responses is the day your life will begin to get better. I love that. The day you change your responses is the day your life will begin to get better. Okay, so what did we talk about? We talked about the power of choice. First of all, is recognizing that we're made, everything that we're doing is a choice. Second of all, it's changing our language around things from I have to, to I get to, or I am, or I want to. Changing our language around that. And then third is to be more intentional about our choices. What choices are we making right now? 
What choices are you making right now? And would you rather be making a different choice? All right. Now that this, it's awesome to be here with you. I love being here with you. And now's the time to subscribe to the podcast. If your app allows that, if it doesn't get on an app that does. <laughs> so you, you get every episode and leave us a review. I, I love hearing from you. If you have a question, if you, I would love to hear your story and hear what's happening for you. You can email me at julie at buildalifeafterloss.com. And as a grief coach, my job is to give you tools, good information, so that, and support, like we need support. Oh my gosh, your support needs to be equal to your challenge. So as a grief coach, this is what I do. I help you stay on the path of hope and healing. Schedule, you can schedule your free discovery session at buildalifeafterloss.com. Again, that's buildalifeafterloss.com. The links are in the show notes as well. So remember, I believe in you. I really do. I believe in you. Love you. Bye.